0: What a powerful song, a great song, uh, to just remind us, and hopefully it is a song of your heart, that God is, you know, as a, as, a, as a parent, you, you try to live it yourself. You try to teach your, your, your children the difference between a want and a need. And I'm afraid some of us want Jesus, but we don't need Jesus. Uh, we have learned to live it on our own. We figured it out. But we want Jesus, but we don't need him. And that's a great song to bring us back to the fact that we need Him every hour of the day. In fact, we're going into this, uh, this season that we're going into next week. We're wrapping up our study through uh, these 10 key moves. But next week we're going to be starting kind of a new, very brief series of messages that will take us through Easter and even, even Good Friday involving that. It's really just a question that's been in my mind for a long time, and I continue to wrestle with it. And why, 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 why the cross? Why the suffering? Why the blood? I mean, God was your God. Couldn't you have done another way? You know, why the resurrection? Why, why, why? And so, really, as I've been preparing for several months now for this coming series um, leading into the Easter season, and just just really try to approach it from a skeptic's point of view. So, let that be something that you could just take with you. As you 're engaging with your work associates and the people around you uh, about uh, about this time of the year, it is a safe season uh, to go out and to invite someone to church because believe it or not, m- even skeptics will find their ways in the door of a church on on Easter Sunday, Palm Sunday, which was next Sunday, and just that whole thing. But just realize that i 'm going to be pro- approaching it trying to talk to the skeptics out there, hopefully bringing them a step closer in their faith uh, along the way. But let's not skip past this last message, very important final message in the series on 10 key moves or the 10 commandments that God gave us. And it might be, again, easy just to kind of to fade off into the sunset and to miss this one, but let's review real quickly because I gave you an assignment in the beginning and hopefully if you took the test today, you'd score a better score than you did in the beginning, unless you scored a perfect score, of course, uh, on the Ten Commandments. I asked you to go home and write out the Ten Commandments in order because they are sequential and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I don't know how you did. You ne- nobody shared it with me other than they didn't do so well. That's what I heard. And so anyway, if you write out the Ten Commandments, hopefully you're a little closer to getting them in order. And number one is just figuring out who your God is, all right? You shall have no other God before me. Unless just get it all melt all get all the meat off the bones if you can't decide and you can't narrow down you can't declare who you are who you're who your god is and who you who you belong to then there's there's a there's a major starting point for there and that's why god says in his word listen i'm not going to share my glory with you i'm not going to share my place with anyone listen i'm god and that's it. And so he's pretty pretty narrow-minded, but I guess if you're the god of the universe, you can be narrow-minded, all right? So anyway, so number 2 was you should you can't make any graven images or anything, really. Don't think of it as a, as a as a kind of a goldsmith kind of commandment. Think of it as anything That man could make, man could create, and even in Exodus twenty, which we'll be there in a moment, Exodus twenty, it literally talks about anything in the heavens to anything in the in the deep deepest parts of the water. Nothing in that space of time should you allow to become your God. Your job, your phone, your 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 hobbies, whatever, your interests, nothing in that elements of this world should become your guy that's commandment number two number number three is just if you're gonna carry his name carry it well all right don't say you're a christian and go out and live like the devil all right just don't do it i mean if you're gonna live like the devil live like the devil but don't say you're a christian all right don't take his name in vain don't share it out there and then and then be some kind of hypocrite about it so carry it carry it well carry it with integrity, carry it with authenticity, and carry His name uh, throughout every area of your life. And so, again, we're really kind of talking about this vertical plane and kind of connecting with God, first of all, before we talk about connecting with one another. So the fourth commandment being that we should remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, all right? Now that's an important day. It might just seem like another day of the week, but really God in His creative order in a perfect world, He designed us... To take Sabbath, to take rest, not only for ourselves, there's great gain in that, but also to just create margin in your life to be in relationship with God. You've got to create it, you've got to take Sabbath because Sabbath will not be given to you. you just got to wrestle it down in your schedule and you've got to say, this is God's day, I'm not letting sports, I'm not letting work, I'm not letting term papers, I'm not letting anything else come between me and my relationship with God on this, on this day. Hopefully it will set the tone for the entire week. So think about it like that. So then he turns the page. In the rest of the commandments, he's talking about how we relate with one another, kind of that horizontal plane. And the first one is that first relationship that we have in this world. And that's honoring your father and your mother. And notice it's not date stamped there. In fact, it says that your life will be longer if you do this and you do it well. Now, I know that honoring father and mother takes on different looks and feels as you're growing up. It, first is that little tan, temper tantrum that the child throws when they're two and three years old and they throw themselves back, you know, and they're going to have to learn to honor father and mother. Then is that teenager who's like, you know, on the edge of being killed by mom and dad. And he's going to have to, she's going to have to learn how to honor father and mother but all the way through your life. Even to the point where you may be the caregiver. And how can you do that? There may be a time in your parents' life that you may have to parent your parents. Have you ever had to do that? Where you have to speak the truth and love to them. And say, no, this isn't right. And no, that's not the... Think about it. It's honoring with truth. And you may have to do that at some time. Honor father and mother. Then we we went to thou shalt not murder. And then we get into these little short, brief statements. Thou shalt not murder, don't don't commit adultery, and and then don't steal. These are the things that we kind of, when we take the test, those last three commandments are the ones that we probably came off the quickest. All right? They're the shortest, they're the quickest, they're the biggies. You don't think of yourself as a murderer and adulterer and so forth. But again, go back and listen to those messages that may unveil some things to you. Then last week, Jared shared with you that we should live in truth, be in truth with our neighbors, and that we shouldn't bear a false witness against our neighbors and so forth. But before we just close the book on this and move on, don't miss number 10, all right? It's number 10. I don't know what the reason is it's number 10. Or, in fact, in my mind, if I was listing out my top 10, I don't know that would have made it. But that may be more telling of me than it is of God. The fact that I would not see this as that important of a a commandment to give, of a move to make in life, may be more telling of me than it is of God. Because it is so important to God. Think about it like this. It's the only commandment out of all ten of them that there's a double negative. It's the only one that it says twice, don't covet. Don't covet it says it twice in verse 17 find your bibles be looking there as as we'll look at this uh, at, at this verse it says don't covet your neighbor's wife that's in the second part of the verse but right before that it said do uh, how, Let me get over there all right there it is do not covet your neighbor's house and then it goes on and it says don't even covet your neighbor's wife his male servant his female servant his ox his donkeys or anything uh, uh, that is your neighbor's so he's, then he starts this laundry list of things. But just hang on that for a moment. Why the double negative? Why emphasize it like that? Is it an emphasis. And the truth being, if you understand ancient Hebrew, they didn't have punctuation. They didn't have bold highlighted fonts, okay? They didn't have that. And so what they would do in ancient Hebrew is they would actually say something and then say it again. You find it in, in Isaiah when they, they call out to God, holy, holy, holy. It's the only attribute of God that's mentioned three times. That's why it is the greatest attribute of God. It's emphasized again and again and again. So here, this must be an extremely important commandment. That if we don't get this one, we may find ourselves, here's the warning to us, we may find ourselves stumbling in the other commandments. He warns us again, don't covet. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your wife. Here's my paraphrased version of it for what it's worth. Don't drool over or be obsessed with your friend's girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife. Don't be envious of his or her job or their car or anything else around you that your eyes or your heart may be drawn toward. See, the the first nine commandments, especially the last several commandments, it's a it's a it's a whole lot more it's a whole lot more external. Okay? If you're bound down to idols, you and I will see that and your, your family will see that. If you kill somebody, that's, that's, that's pretty much out there. Alright? It's, it's, it's pretty objective. But the problem is, is the 10th commandment, is it's not so much an external thing. It's more of an internal heart issue. You, whether you kill someone, whether you lie to someone, that's pretty clear. But whether or not you're coveting, this may be, let me say this, the most subtle the most undetected and the most unconfessed sin in the church in America today. Coveting. It's, it's almost as if no one will know I'm doing it, so I'm just going to keep doing it. In fact, a Jesuit uh, a priest of, of years gone by, Francis Xavier, who Xavier University is named after, he said after hearing thousands of confessions, he has never heard anybody, anybody, confess the sin of covetousness. I've never confessed the sin. I can't, I can't say a lot in my life it has been. But let, yet that sin, if I'm not careful, can be the Achilles heel that will cause me to sin others. Think about it like this. If I am coveting somebody else's wife, clearly says don't do that. What can I end up doing? Committing adultery. See this creates a domino effect if if, if I end up becoming uh, a coveting of somebody else 's material goods stuff, I could find myself stealing maybe not their stuff but stealing from someone else, cheating someone else, lying to someone else see coveting is could be the undercurrent of many other people 's downfalls I will say this i 'll go so far as to say this is it was the part of the lethal cocktail that became the downfall of Lucifer. Lucifer, as you know from Old Testament, Lucifer is the former archangel, the angel of light, who later becomes Satan. Satan, who we know him more as the, the adversary. But before he was the adversary, Satan, he was known as the angel of light. He was known as Lucifer. He was known as the archangel of God. He was the highest-ranking angel. But yet, and you can read the account on your own in Ezekiel 28, verses 11 through 19, and you can read how both pride come together with covetedness, and you find that that Lucifer begins to think, hey, uh, I think that I could become God. Hey... I think I am as good as In fact, I want to be God. And In fact, you have this lethal cocktail coming together and Lucifer drinking it, and what do you see happen? But Lucifer becomes better known as Satan. Again, I want to emphasize, this may be the most subtle, undetectable, and unconfessed sin in Christian circles today. Why? Why should we ignore the Tenth Commandment? We shouldn't. We shouldn't. So the opposite of, uh, of, of of contentment, let me say this is the opposite is uh, uh, excuse me, of covetedness is contentment. I need to find contentment in my heart so that I can push out a covetous spirit within me. See, coveting says, if I have more or if I have something different, I will be happy. That's what coveting says, but contentment says this that I am happy with what I have and who I am. Just it. I don't need something else. I don't need a greener pasture. I don't need a better option. I don't need a better spouse. I don't need a better job. I don't need a faster car. I don't need a better job. I don't need another title. It's not that that's going to get me there. What I have to learn is pull back on those temptations of my heart and I must wrestle them down and I must say I am going to be content. I'm going to learn contentment. So I want to talk about some values. The value of contentment versus the value of coveting, okay? Against it, almost uh, uh, um, juxtaposed to it. So let's talk about three values as you think about the 10th commandment today. One, as coveting, which again is our natural human response, promises more but delivers less. Contentment promises satisfaction and delivers more. I know it's a big long statement, but I want you to think about it. One is promising more, but it delivers less. Okay? And then the other is just promising satisfaction. Just that that break even point. But I promise you this, it gives you much more on the back side. You may not see it on the front side, but on the back side, it gives you so much more. If there's anybody in the Old Testament that I can compare to a good old... Western American follower of God, morals, well, ethics, values, wisdom, is probably King Solomon. He had it. He understood it. He had all this great wisdom. But yet even in his great wisdom, he had a good work ethic. He had a lot of things going for him. And he looks just like an American. And we did a study a few years ago in the book of Ecclesiastes. I felt like I was reading uh, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. It was such a contemporary read. Okay? But let me read to you a passage in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 8-11. through So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. What do we do in America? We want to become the best. We will be greater. You know, last year's numbers aren't as good as, this year, as next year's number. We've got to continue to become greater and greater and greater. And my wisdom never failed me. So we get education and we get smart. And we get as much wisdom as we can. There's a difference I know between wisdom and education, but sometimes we confuse the two. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work. Man, this is a good guy. He's working for what he gets, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was. So meaningless. Like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Here's a man who did deny himself pleasures. Here's a man who accomplished it so much. Here's a man who worked hard for everything that he got. Here's a man who accomplished kings and kingdoms. He did this. And yet at the end of it, he sits back in his big old golden recliner. And he says this, I'm chasing the wind. This covetedness that comes a part of our heart promises so much but delivers so little. It keeps us driving. It keeps us pushing forward. In fact, we keep accumulating so much junk and stuff in this world that we can never find enough space to put it even in our homes. Interesting, fine self-storage units. A business devoted to providing people places to store their extra stuff. That they're not using in their house anymore is a $17 billion a year industry. Larger than the movie industry. That's you see, material gain is like salt water. The more you drink, the more you want. And so I'm not speaking against material gain. You'll hear that in just a moment. But what I am speaking against is living a life driven by this insatiable desire for more. And more and more. Paul, probably the the other side of the spectrum in in some respects as Solomon in the New Testament, very influential, very wise, very aggressive in his faith. And even before his faith, was very aggressive. He was very successful. Let me put it to you like this. He was very successful in what he did in his own profession. You can read his own resume. He gives it in Philippians chapter 3. In two verses, in chapter 3, verse 4, or excuse me, three verses, chapter uh, 3, verse 4 to verse 6, it has his resume. Paul was successful. All right? Nothing wrong with being successful. Don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with what Solomon did. He worked hard for everything he got. Right? Okay, good, good. Check it off the list. But is it consuming you? Is it—is it driving you? Is it this insatiable desire inside of you? Or have you learned the value and the satisfaction of contentment? Because Paul goes on in chapter 3, he gives his resume, but in chapter 4, verse 11, he says this, I've learned to be content. Learned to be content. Say that with me. Learned to be content. Contentment is not a gene that's passed down from one generation to the next. Contentment is not a spiritual gift. Contentment is a spiritual discipline that you learn to say no to the desires of your own heart and you say, enough. Thank you, Lord. Enough. Again, we're not talking about complacency, but we are talking about learning to be content. Young Timothy Timothy was receiving the advice from Elder Paul and he said this, Godliness with contentment, that's gain. You want to get rich? You want to be wealthy? Take godliness, add it to contentment. There you're going to find your wealth. That's how you're going to find it. Godliness with contentment brings wealth. So that's what I'm saying. Contentment, it offers you satisfaction, but it gives you so much more. You will find that you have so much more when you learn to be content. In fact, he goes on to say, Listen, if you've got food and clothing, be content. Find contentment in just having the, the clothes on your back and the food in your belly. Now, what if we were to put this literally into practice? So, putting this into practice a few years ago in the McDaniel household was, was so effective that I had somebody perfect a spreadsheet, and then we've made it available to the whole, to the whole church. And we call it the ABC budget around here. It's online. You can download it. You can uh, QR code it and all that kind of stuff. And it's free. It's out there. And what you can do is you can take your income as a family. And you and I think everyone should do this. This is a very valuable process. Lori and I still go through this budgeting process where we understand that the A stands for absolute needs. And what are the absolute needs? Food and water and clothing. That's what he just said. Everything else beyond that ought to find some level of contentment. Okay? But then what are the B's? The B's are probably going to be something like your basic comforts. Okay? And it may not be cable television. It may not be two cars. It may be just one car. Or three cars. Or whatever it may be for you. You have to think about that as your family. And then, and then C are those comfort items. And the key to this is to push as many of your A categories as you think you absolutely, absolutely have to have 5,000 channels on your Direct TV, or can you just deal with rabbit ears and push it to B? And as many B items, push it to C. And then you're going to really find what it really takes to live. And then you're really going to see just how blessed you really are in your life. Coveting imprisons you. Contentment frees you. Learning the value of contentment will actually bring freedom to your soul. When again, Paul goes on talking about with his protege, he illustrates this destructive building empire capacity that we get in, in, in this world. And if we're not careful, it'll suck us in, and we'll be ensnared into it, and we will be imprisoned by it. Be careful. What is imprisoning you? In First Timothy chapter 6, it says this, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. That's the imprisonment. Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Listen, and none of us are exempt. I don't care how good and godly you may be. I am this close from falling into wantonness, into materialism, into covetedness. All it takes is is, is one more flip through the channel or, or one more observation of somebody else's life that they have something better, faster, prettier than mine. And all of a sudden, I want that. And it sucks you in. You take a guy by the name of Demas. You find you study this guy's name, and you'll find him in Philemon. Whenever Paul is writing this letter to Philemon, and he's uh, associating Philemon and Paul walking together in Philemon chapter one verse twenty-four, and then you go on to Colossians chapter four verse fourteen, and you'll find where Paul is is writing with with this uh, Demas, and and they're together. They're one. They're greeting the church, and they're sending their blessings to the church. They're one. He it's his protege. Skip over a couple more years, maybe a decade or so, and you'll find Demas mentioned one more time in Scripture. You'll find him in chapter four of Second Timothy when it says, Demas, in love with this present world has deserted me. You can literally be a disciple, a protege of the great apostle Paul one day and be sucked back into the the selfish, wanton, materialistic, covetousness lifestyle in a matter of seconds. So be warned. It's an entrapment. It will pull you away from your faith. It will cause you to stumble in your morals and ethics in a very sad way. And it happens in such subtlety. A study that was done by some Stanford students, doctoral students, on just the the impact of social media came to my eyes this week and was very interesting. Just through Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. It's adding, and I want to read to it, it's adding to an image versus reality entrapment. Interesting words. My life isn't as full and happy and complete as my friends is what the study came out to find. The people are going on these these sites and they're seeing on Facebook, this man, they had a cool vacation. Oh, what an awesome husband and mate that that person has. I, I wish that my kids were as good as their kids. And it kind of creates this envious, what it does, creating an envious obsession over the people's perceived perfect lives resulting in personal depression. I don't know if that even has, has stirred something in your mind, but just think about how simple and easy it is to be on a social media and all of a sudden you find yourself coveting someone else's life, someone else's fame, someone else's family, someone else's mate. It happens so subtly. Neiman Marcus wrote a, had, a, had an ad campaign out a few years ago, and this is what it said. It said, indulge. It's time to put pleasure back in living. Satisfy your appetite. Leave guilt behind. Become a hedonist. Seek bliss at every turn. Succumb to, no tempt- or succumb to temptation. Revel in the feeling it gives you. A certain gratification accompanied by a cushion of contentment. Listen, the word hedonist and contentment ought not be used in the same paragraph. That doesn't go together. But yet we can sell it as that is go out and live it up. And then when you live it up, you will find contentment. Buy all you can get. Get all you can. See what we do. We live in this fast paced Get all you can. Can all you get. Kind of reality. And what we need to do is, is there's nothing wrong with the things that we have and the stuff that we've been given. In fact, here's just a simple principle for you, if you will. Enjoy life where you are and with what you have. Wherever you are, find contentment there and find enjoyment there. Alright? Be all there wherever there is. Be with them fully and completely. I want you to read some verses out loud with me. Okay, you ready? James chapter 1, verse 17. Read it with me. Every good... and Read it with me. Come on. Every good gift and... Every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Everything you have, every good thing you have, is from God. It doesn't mean it's evil, but what happens in our heart—that's a different story. Deuteronomy eight eighteen. Read this with me. Remember the Lord your God. Ecclesiastes chapter five verse eighteen and nineteen. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun. Enjoy the eat, enjoy the drink, enjoy the life that God has given you. It's going to come and go fast. Enjoy the work that God has given you. Quit looking to the greener pastures. You may have heard it said it's only greener because it's built on a septic tank. So think about it like that. Gandhi said it, There is sufficiency in the world for man's need, but not for man's greed. There's enough. And you probably have enough. And I probably, no, we all have enough. Because as far as I can tell, everybody's been fed today and everybody's clothed in here today. Thank God. And so we're probably okay. Now let's see if we can find contentment. Let's learn contentment. As Paul spoke up. Be free today. Don't be enslaved to wantonness. Number three. Coveting offers you happiness tomorrow. Contentment delivers happiness today. I promise you in a relationship with God Almighty. You can enter into a fulfilling relationship today. If you are constantly searching and driving at more and more and more. You will not know happiness today. You'll always be wanting more and more and more. Ephesians chapter five, verse five says that there's a separation between those who are who live this covetous lifestyle and those who are with God. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral and pure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Even I think we maybe you know Paul's conversion story, this Damascus Road experience where God appears. And it's just this amazing thing. He's blinded and he goes on to Damascus. And it's just an amazing story. If you read further into Paul's writings, you read that his conversion continues as yours should as well. You're not just saved, but you are being saved. And he realized as he was growing in his own faith, that he was more and more deprived than he realized, more and more lost, than he, more and more separated from God than he realized. Because in Romans 7, verse 7, let me just say this. It's interesting that it was covetedness that probably got Paul. It was the law that showed me my sin. I would have never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you are not to covet the 10th commandment maybe one of those that we may just kind of blow past because i want to say it again it is probably the most acceptable sin of all the 10 commandments it's the most subtle and undetectable sin of all the 10 commandments it's one that we all struggle with that's why it's okay or is it because I think it leads us to this disconnect from God, it puts other things that can continue to pull us away from God. I want to challenge all of us in this room today. I want you to think of something in your life, and it may not be bad. I'm not talking about any big seven deadly sins here. It could be actually a good thing. It could be a hobby. it could be anything. I want you to think of one thing in your life that for the next seven days, you would be willing to put on the shelf fast from. And and, and in that cavity of time that you would normally be doing X, you're actually doing a whole heart searching with God time. You're actually taking that amount of time. If it's eating, if it's a certain food, you're fasting from that. And maybe you're just going down to vegetables and fruit and you're just, you're not preparing meats, you're not going, you're not, whatever it is. You're just maybe it's television. Maybe it's social media. You're gonna take the next seven days, and you're gonna say, "I'm I'm off. I'm off it, not because it's wrong for me. I'm I'm gonna be off Facebook." I found myself yesterday afternoon wasting a solid forty-five minutes going through the news feeds, seeing stupid stuff after stupid stuff but I thought there might be a nugget on the next one. How much time do we waste that we could be engaging, that we could be doing something more meaningful and eternal? We're getting caught up in so much other stuff that's out there. Think about it. When you come to the Ten Commandments, I don't know where you are with them as we've gone through them, but it's interesting because I I want to read just a couple more verses and I'm finished. And we'll move on to another study. but I want us to think about this last little section here. Exodus chapter twenty, verse eighteen and, uh, to 20. This is, this is how the people responded to Moses bringing out the Ten Commandments. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes and the lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, man, you talk about a, 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 an effect that day, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off, and they said to Moses. You speak to us, we will listen. But don't let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, oh, No, 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 don't be afraid. For God has come to test you. That, that the fear of Him may be before you and that you may not sin. See, God gave us the Ten Commandments. The commandments should, should raise this respect level for God and even draw us into an intimate relationship with God. And, let me just add to that, and make our relationships with our fellow humanity even better and sweeter. It's not supposed to repel us away from Him. The very next verse says it like this, the people stood far off, while Moses drew near, in the thick darkness where God was. So my question for you. Where are you in this? Are you standing back from God? Or is He drawing you in? Are you going to be like Moses? Are you going to be moving closer? Are you going to be like the people standing back? Or like Moses moving in? See, ultimately the Ten Commandments are not supposed to give us a rule list. We're supposed to tick off every day. Okay, I didn't steal today. No, it's to draw us closer to Him. Do you have a relationship with Him? Maybe just learning to appreciate what He's given us would be a good place to start. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray today This wanton sensation for more, and Lord, we'll learn to say thank you. Thank you for the clothes on my back, the food on my table. Thank you for what you've given me, Lord. And anything above that, it's extra. It's just, it's just continued blessing. Lord, I pray. We see the blessings that you have given us today. That we don't stand back in fear that you may zap us, but that we will draw closer into the thickness of. time of reflection in connection with God